welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas, and this is our Wednesday show where we niche down to a single topic, think about a question, and unpack the rest. Today, we're thinking about something that's been on all of our minds recently. With the recent leaked decision from the Supreme Court that would overturn Roe v. Wade, a landmark case that protected a woman's right to choose to have an abortion, as well as the more recent failure to advance the Women's Health Protection Act in the Senate, there's a lot of different ways we can be talking about this conversation. But of course, since it's equity, since this is us and you're listening, we're going to talk about it from the tech landscape. So this week, we're asking, how do digital health startups build in a post-Row world? This episode, as you can tell, is a little different. We're having a guest on for the first time in a long time, and I'm really excited about it. We're bringing on Kiki Friedman, the co-founder and CEO of Hey Jane. Kiki, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So I have two questions right off the top. One is, how are you? (laughs) And two, tell everyone why you've probably been very, very, very busy lately. (laughs) Yeah. How am I? I would say it's a unique combination of manic and exhausted. (laughs) There's a lot of work to be done on a lot of fronts and we're sort of more motivated than ever to push forward as fast as we can. In terms of why you referenced the leaked Roe memo and we are all now shifting from a framework of if Roe falls to when. It's something we've been gearing up for for a while, but is certainly still very difficult to process emotionally now that it's really happening. Yeah. And so you co-founded this company years ago. Tell us a little bit about that early vision and what you're building today just to help contextualize. Totally. So the idea for Hey Jane came about in the summer of 2019. I was chatting with some of my friends from undergrad. We'd gone to school in St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. Missouri was one of six states at the time to have one abortion clinic left in the entire state. And that summer, it nearly got shut down. It would become the first time since Roe v. Wade that a state had no abortion access at all. And it just seemed sort of impossibly dystopian that that could be the case in the United States in 2019. In retrospect, you know, unfortunately, it's a bit quaint to think about only one state not having access since we are looking towards a near future where 26 states have no access at all, but nevertheless, very, very disturbing at the time. Simultaneously, we were seeing a lot of digital health companies really blow up, primarily focusing on increasing access to stigmatized products in men's health, things like ED or hair loss. And I started thinking, you know, is that a model that could be applied for safe, discreet, affordable abortion access? Our vision, I think, has broadened a lot since then. We've seen that providing, we're calling our our complete care approach that combines emotional support and online community for really stigmatized treatments on top of a, a strong clinical core. We've been able to get really, really high levels of patient satisfaction and loyalty. Awesome. And so we are thinking about ways to expand that model to other products in the, in the near future. Awesome. One thing that I noticed was obviously, Hey Jane is going that direct to consumer model that a lot of people at this point who even kind of pay attention to digital health are comfortable with. Yeah. When it came to specifically selling abortion pills across state lines to anyone to to a doorstep, nonetheless, what was kind of the early reaction to that? And (laughs) I guess let's take away the past few months. Was it getting better before the potential overturn started making headlines? Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting question. And those two questions, I think, dovetail really nicely. The initial reaction was, is that legal? (laughs) (laughs) Prior to COVID, it was not obvious that it was legal to mail the abortion pill at all. It had previously been dispensed only in clinics, in doctor's offices, hospitals. So the idea of a full no-touch telemedicine model was very new. 
Over the past two years, there's been a really interesting kind of bifurcation of the regulatory landscape where, on the one hand, the abortion pill, medication abortion, has been deregulated by the FDA. During COVID, they started allowing it to be mailed as sort of a temporary exemption. And then just late last year in December, they made that exemption permanent. So making telemedicine abortion— Huge win, huge win. But at the same time, of course, many states that are hostile to abortion access have been rolling out increasingly draconian laws of the type that we've never really seen or even imagined before. And so you sort of have these two conflicting factors at play. Now, of course, with the fall of Roe, the federal protection for access is falling. We've already seen states shipping away at this in anticipation of Roe going away. Yeah. And so telemedicine abortion, in my you know, unbiased opinion, does remain sort of a bright spot among this really bleak macro environment. Yeah. I mean, I had a newsletter last week where I was talking about how this startup's mission, as well as a lot of digital health stars missions were being threatened to be overturned. But originally the headline for that newsletter was telemedicine, this is your time to shine. And it kind of felt like we were working towards something We were working toward mainstream telemedicine adoption over the pandemic. And I I guess I wasn't sure if it was getting that same kind of love and progress as maybe something which is unfortunately less controversial than an e-depot. Yeah, I think we've seen a ton of product market fit for it. There's just absolutely demand. I think we look at how digital health has assisted with other stigmatized products. The barriers to access abortion care, particularly during a pandemic, were just so severe. And so... I think it was the perfect time to start piloting some of these models. Totally, totally. You were on Found, which is our sister podcast here at TechCrunch, a couple months ago. I guess October, I think, is when the episode at least aired. So there's a world of a difference, but it's kind of useful for us in this episode because during that show, you referenced how a lot of us have always lived in a post-row world. At that time, post-row meant something so different than post-row now. And I was wondering if you could maybe, bringing us to today, connect the dots between what Hey Jane is doing for this version of post-row. Yes. So it's funny to think back to that. And oh. yeah, I, <laughs> I know I, I was like listening so- to it this morning and I was like, oh, <laughs> but I mean, you're oh, doing the work. Had it even knowing. <laughs> yeah. Most people, as you mentioned, you know, we've grown up where we've sort of taken abortion access for granted. And I think now is the first time that people are trying to really grapple with what a world without access would look like. I think it's important to remember one in four women and other people with uteruses will have an abortion. It's incredibly common. And so to think that it's not available in more than half of the states is it's just a human rights crisis. Some of the things that we do think about differently now, though, as opposed to sort of like the pre-Roe era, is that we do have technology and we do have medication abortion pills that allow for access to scale really well in a super safe and effective way. So we view telemedicine as this really powerful way to put the control back in patients' hands because they just have more options than they would have in prior times of restriction. That's not to say it's not still a terrible scenario and there's so much additional work that needs to be done, but it's certainly, we have more tools now than we did in the pre-Roe world. Yeah, no, totally. When I was first looking into Hey Jane and actually a lot of my coworkers, when they heard that I was interviewing you, their first question was, can customers, you know, be prosecuted if Roe v. Wade is overturned and they want to be a customer of the startup? And maybe that's one of the questions, but maybe, yeah. Is there a simple answer to that yet? So states have been rolling out some really interesting bills or proposing them. And we are hoping that we see local governments really stand up to put them into place. Okay. We've seen so far really interesting progress in Connecticut, who's already passed some legislation to this effect, as well as New York and California, who have bills on the table. And they would protect patients who travel to these states from getting any sort of civil or criminal liability from 
the state that they may be coming from. It seems bizarre that this would even need to be protected, but we have seen states like Missouri threaten to prosecute residents who travel outside of the state to get care. Yeah. Yeah, it's mind-boggling. And the first thing I think of is, like, education. I remember I was, like, at one point, I was just looking for, like, digital health startups that were entirely focused on educating on on how to access and how to understand things. I'm sure that's become a huge part of your job and your whole team's part. But it's so confusing. It's so confusing to someone who, even as lucky as me and as privileged as me, who has resources, you know, can find myself stopping because I'm overwhelmed at how many ways they could potentially go wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a common feeling these days, for sure. When we go to kind of, like, I guess now we're a couple weeks past the Supreme Court document leak happened. Can you kind of walk listeners and, and me through your steps of action? Has it been triaging happening? Has there been a change in the product roadmap? Yeah, I think that our number one our number one focus is to keep serving our patients as well as we can. It's, of course, easy to get distracted by all of these things that are going on in the broader picture. But the best thing that we could do is make sure our patients are still able to get care that's safe, effective, and you know, quick and convenient. So that will always be our top priority. I do think that it's been a very good moment, though, to also make more people aware of the abortion pill. We've seen data that only one in five people know that it's an option, even though last year, for the first time, it was more than half of abortions were done with wow. As opposed to in clinics. So making sure, as you said, that folks are educated on this being available to them and available via telemedicine. Okay, got you. And it's kind of interesting to me too, taking a little bit more into the education point. When you're being spotlighted in such a dramatic way, TechCrunch being one outlet that's probably reaching out to you, but I'm sure you guys are being inundated by media, the law, and customers. <laughs> From like a startup perspective, how do you handle that? Like, is it more hiring? Is it is it just working crazier days? <laughs> uh, crazy days and also just a lot of really intentional prioritization, recognizing yeah. that we can't do everything, even though we really want to. And I'm just really lucky to have an incredible team that I could delegate a lot to so they can like run forward um, with a lot of these needs that we have. But for a problem this big, there's only so much that we can focus on at once. So we want to focus on what we do to make what we do as good as possible. No, focus definitely feels like the mood right now among everyone, <laughs> including myself. Like I feel like <laughs> trying to try and accomplish everything and spreading yourself too thin is, it could it could hurt. And I guess I have two more questions on like the business before we jump into the bigger picture. One would be that in mind, is Hey Jane planning to launch any other services or products beyond the abortion pill in the near future? Does it feel like this is enough right now though? Yeah, so we definitely will be expanding into new products. We've started offering birth control to our patients. That's sort of like a free add-on that they can get. And we just really want to maintain that good relationship with them, given the trust that we feel that we earn during that first treatment. We've also now just started testing into postpartum depression. It's another incredibly common need that affects more than one in five women and other people with uteruses and totally underserved today and really requires treatment at that intersection of clinical okay. support, of course, like through an antidepressant or other medication. You know, it's a chemical problem and often needs a chemical solution, but really importantly, layering on that emotional support and community as well. So we just started testing into that and we do have other products on our roadmap as well. Perfect. And you see yourself staying the direct to consumer path for the near future? Yeah, we do. Okay, great. The last bit would be more around kind of your footprint right now. Last time TC covered, hey, Jane, you guys were targeting 10 clinics by the end of the year. How close are you to that? What's in the works right now before, hey, Jane's getting to all the states? And I know that's probably the golden question for you included. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, it's a very good question. So right now we're in six states. We've really focused strategically on the states that are likely to absorb the most volume in a post-road world. Okay. So there's some really interesting and sad data that's come out recently that says California is likely to see a 3,000% increase in the number of out-of-state patients who need to travel there for care. Illinois is almost 9,000%. And so essentially what's likely to happen is we see a surge in demand in these states. So we really want to make sure that hygiene is available to absorb that demand and make sure that we're able to treat traveling patients really quickly, really conveniently, despite, you know, the unique elements of needing to travel to another state um, to get treatment. Right, right. I think that's actually a perfect segue into the second half, which is how do startups help Hey Jane? What are your dream kind of startups or infrastructure that you're hoping to see that would help either scale your mission or scale people's access to abortions right now? Like who am I missing and who should we all be looking into? That's a great question. I would give a big shout out to our pharmacy partner, Honeybee. They make, you know, the actual fulfillment of these medications as well. We love them. But generally, I mean, I think that businesses just speaking publicly on the importance of abortion access makes such a huge difference. There's been a lot of corporate silence, even as things have gotten so much worse. And I think now is the point where people are really opening their eyes and seeing, hey, like it's time to do something about this. It's been motivating to see larger companies like Amazon, Tesla City begin to offer coverage for their employees who need to travel to get abortion care now. And understanding that that's quite expensive for many startups, being mindful of how you can support your own employees as they seek out abortion care is also huge. Whether that means travel expenses, days off, just being you know, supportive as a team to them. Yeah. I mean, I struggled. I saw those policies. I struggled at large a little bit with how big tech was quiet to what you also mm-hmm. said in the days after or the day after the Supreme Court leak came about. And it kind of goes to like I had this forever story of tech being inevitably a very political sector, but also wanting to be arm's length. And I, I mean, I know those two will kind of always be at odds in some way. And so mm-hmm. as a founder who has to kind of address that, What are some of the clashes that people may not know about? Or from a startup angle, what happens when you're building in something that's being so regulatory challenged and then, you know, all the bigger companies who have lots of money are not kind of standing behind you in the same way? I'll say this. Before Hey Jane, I worked at Uber. That was a company that faced a lot of regulatory complexity as we grew. (laughs) There were certain things that I learned there that were useful. And I think there is just a boldness that first movers in a market need to take on in terms of challenging existing regulatory environments. And I think the hope always is that the rest of the tech world will catch up in supporting this type of work. And frankly, I do think we've seen a lot of progress in that over the past couple of years. After SB8, for example, rolled out in Texas, there was a lot of silence. There were a few folks that started funds and things like that. Bumble, Uber and Lyft did start funds to support their drivers. But it was it was largely quiet, I think, given the urgency of the situation now. We have seen a little bit more engagement and I'm hoping to see that grow. No, totally. And I think obviously getting to digital health startups as a sector that specifically has a responsibility to speak up right now. I'm not sure if I have a perfect question to ask this, but one thing I'm wondering is like, what should I be asking fertility companies, for example, to be talking about? Like, what should they be doing? If you weren't CEO of Hey Jane, but you were CEO of maybe a fertility company, what's the best way to support it? Because I think for you, it's such a clear way to respond to demand, but for ones that are maybe more adjacent, it feels harder. Mm -hmm. 
It's an interesting space to be in because to be completely honest, we would love to see more people providing abortion care. Like we don't really view it as competition. The need needs to be normalized and that will sort of like lift all boats if that happens. It's interesting though that you mentioned fertility clinics in particular. I think it's yet to be seen how these regulations affect the ability to form and store embryos and particularly to destroy embryos. I think that people view maybe the abortion debate as like more narrow than it is. It will affect other fertility treatments that create potentially. If the law is now deeming that, you know, air quotes, life begins at conception, that will affect the ability for people to use these really important fertility treatments as well. So perhaps we'll see more motivation for involvement as those as slash if those realities come into play. Yeah. And I think it's always probably a difficult mix between do we raise our hand and actually join and I guess make a difference for people who are going to be impacted or is it going to come off surface level? And like, is there, I don't know if I can put you on the spot and ask you for an example of a surface level response versus an actual response to something like this. Oh, that's a a great, surface level, releasing a press statement (laughs) with no teeth behind it. Anything beyond that, I think, you know, is better than nothing. I am reluctant to call anyone out because I do see companies making like really well-intentioned efforts to support abortion access through things like employee funding or donations or whatever it might be. No solution is perfect, but it's always better to do something than nothing. Yeah, it's a weird thing to be like, (laughs) that wasn't helpful when you're, when it is doing something. It's, I mean, when I was covering ed tech more, I was also facing the same thing where it's like, I don't want to say that you're like hurting education (laughs) because you're not doing all the things. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think as a reporter, I worry that I highlight companies sometimes that aren't doing the real thing. So that's kind of where it's coming from. Yeah. And if they're going to go out of their way to engage on the issue in ways that aren't directly related to their business, I think some of the most effective things that they could do would be donating to abortion funds so that people can get access. And in particular, what's called a practical support organization that funds travel between states for people who need to get care. Those are huge. And I think they've been sort of like underplayed as a part of the abortion ecosystem for way too long. They've been getting more attention recently, which is like so beyond deserved. And then also supporting some of these regulations that will support patients and providers at a state level yeah. should people need to travel. Okay, good to know. Good to know. One last question on competition, or I don't want to say that because like you said, Tide, that lifts all boats. But, you know, a company like the Pill Club or Row, I'm not entirely familiar with everything that they're offering today, but I'm wondering what you think the hesitancy may be for the massive, well-capitalized unicorns in the space to not be offering the service as loudly as a Hey Jane? Is it size? Is it not wanting to put themselves in a bucket? Maybe we can say right now, you're not speaking for them, but... Yeah, so not not speaking for them and like not calling anyone out specifically, this is my speculation, but listen, it is a topic that comes with controversy. I think that controversy is unfounded. It's a very common form of healthcare, but we know that it is controversial. And I think a lot of companies are worried about potential backlash from their customers, but also maybe even their employees if they were to launch something like this. Yeah. I think we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast, but getting investment when potential LPs of the investors in the VC funds have, you know, conflicts with abortion can also make fundraising more challenging. And ultimately, I think they maybe just don't want to take on those risks. Yeah. Well said. Thank you for answering that. I know I didn't put you in the easiest spot there, but uh, I want to end on the venture point. And news recently came out that Hey Jane is going to be raising in the next few months, believe a Series A, correct? That's right. Okay, awesome. And you last raised a 2.2 million seed round in August 2021. So 
solid turnaround. What has kind of been the reception, I guess, as you prepare to fundraise right now? And I'll remind people that we are in a very weird moment for the market. (laughs) And we're in a very tough moment for digital health companies such as Hey Jane that are being threatened so loudly. Yes. Oh, and what we actually ended up raising 3.6 for our (gasps) seed. Oh, please correct. That's perfect. Okay. (laughs) Love that. Very proud of that. And yeah, so we're planning on raising again soon. We've actually seen a lot of receptiveness this time around. I think to some of what we were talking about earlier, folks are maybe having a moment of reckoning that this is something that is real and that is going to be a really big problem for this country now and for potentially a while into the future. So we've been pleased to see a lot more investor interest who are both motivated by the mission as well as what is just a tremendously underserved market. Are we starting to see those vice clauses that have traditionally stopped investors from, I think, as you explained, from participating in companies for a variety of reasons? I hate calling digital health company advice, so I don't <laughs> want to put that in the same sentence, but it is considered advice to some people. I hear you. <laughs> yes. But yeah, are you finding hope there? Are things changing? We've yet to start the actual raise, but I am very hopeful that we'll see a little bit more flexibility on that. We know that there are workarounds. People have expressed openness to create special purpose vehicles that may be somewhat distinct from the fund. If there's like one LP, for example, that may not be able to get on board or just potentially more of a willingness to have those tough conversations with LPs. I do just see more motivation now to protect access. And I'm hoping that does play out when we go into the market. I also think like the emerging fund manager boom probably helps a little bit too, because all these solo GPs are not as answerable to as many people as before. There's a lot more options than when you first... I guess when you when you last raised, it must have been an entirely different climate. This time it feels like... Well, I'm curious maybe, is the upcoming raise kind of in response to this moment? You had planned on going out to raise anyway, just based off like hitting the milestones that we targeted. But I do think that the moment does make it more urgent than ever for us to be able to move quickly towards our mission. Yeah, yeah. Ending on a piece of advice, you've done this with Hey Jane's previous round and you've, you've worked at Uber during its hyper growth years and watched what it's like to build a startup when it's going through a ton of hurdles. Maybe you could leave us with some advice for startups that are either in a similar boat dealing with regulatory hurdles and looking to raise or VCs who are stressed about funding these companies and don't really know where to start. Feel free to pick your poison. <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, I think that some of these highly regulated industries are also sometimes come with the most counter cyclicality or just like steady cash flows. So viewing the offset of risk from those two factors, I think is something that's maybe overlooked. And then for founders who are looking to start in a regulatory industry, there's always a way (laughs) some things seem like insurmountable problems, but there really are creative solutions to everything. And again, like often these are the problems most worth solving that have been most artificially capped in the past. And so I think it's really worth trying to push through those boundaries if you believe it's a mission worth fighting for. Well said. I I always say that venture, at least I was taught when I was first reporting, that venture is all about risk and for risk. And it's a funny reality check when I see venture do the exact opposite and just fund SaaS companies, no offense. (laughs) I, I hope to see more of it as well. And I really hope we see, you know, there's new forms of funding popping up as well. And I hope to see that help these companies lift up too. Absolutely. Well, Kiki, thank you so much for walking us through your world, which is chaotic 
chaotic, but I think hopeful as well. Right now, it feels like it. Feel free to tip me when you close that founding round. We'd love to cover it on TechCrunch. Absolutely. I would love that. (laughs) Okay, perfect. Well, thank you again, Kiki. You were a blast. Tell people who are listening where to find you on the internet and where to follow you. Check out heyjane.co.co or you can follow us on social media at heyjanehealth. Oh my God. I think you're the first person that plugged their company instead of themselves, which is exactly the kind of (laughs) selflessness we love on this show. (laughs) Everyone else, we will be back on your normal schedule on Friday. So catch us then. Thanks again. Bye. Bye. 